right. Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, whenever you happen to be listening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. Uh, today, Stephen Fullwood and I are talking. Uh, Stephen, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing, Travis? I'm pretty good. Uh, the weather is finally broken out that way. Yeah, you're you're heading into bit. spring. But, We're yeah. heading into spring, but there was a lot of rain for about about a, 24 hours or so, and, okay. and now it's breaking up a bit. And there's some sunshine out right now, which is great. Yeah, we had, uh, it was like 90 yesterday here, Ooh. and then back to some kind of normal April weather, so... Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. So t- uh, today we're talking about uh, a topic that I have conscientiously avoided, uh, not not in not in interpersonal conversations, not with family, but uh, mm-hmm. in relation to the American age. Uh, and that is uh, the Donald Trump and Trumpism mm-hmm. and, and the rest of the all the baggage that goes along with that. So okay. I asked Stephen earlier in the weekend if he wanted to talk about it and he said, let's do it. So, uh, Stephen, I, I like I said, I opened up. I've been reluctant. Uh, to right. talk about uh, Trump because uh, I feel like as soon as you uh, as you take a position on Trump, mm-hmm. uh, you are immediately raising people's antenna for partisanship and us versus them mentality. And uh, I've really studiously tried to avoid that with the American age. It's not what I wanted to do with it. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's more about trying to uh, defend and promote a more robust middle uh, mm-hmm. in, in American public discourse, mm-hmm. um, a more self-reflective discourse, a self-critical discourse, um, right. as opposed to an us, uh, us versus them. Okay. But I felt kind of, I felt kind of cowardly about it, um, okay. which I was just telling, I was just saying to you before the podcast. So, um, I'd like to open it up to you. Um, <laughs> hey, you actually, you had some great comments to uh, when we were kind of warming up at the beginning. So um, I'll leave it to you. Well, so I was when you first um, brought the the um, the idea to me. I remember thinking that Trump is an exciting topic to think about, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I want to. I'll tell you what excites me about it about him being a topic, but also about what his presidency sort of makes me um, consider. But I'm also going to ask you what excites you about Trump. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. That's a great question. Well, because most of the reporting, as you said, has been partisan, but it's also sometimes it's devoid of any um, complexity. Um, And some, a lot of it doesn't have any like history outside of 2016. So for me, like I remember when I first thought about Trump, like consciously thought about what he could do as president was, okay, so now we have, and I'm not a New Yorker, but I remember hearing about Trump when I wasn't here. I was in Ohio and and then in in Georgia, but Trump had his own reality show kind of, you know, prior to the reality show being a reality show, meaning that he was this big rich guy in in New York city. And, you know, for the rest of us in the, um, in the hinterlands, we weren't, we weren't um, privy to a lot of the noise, a lot of the mm-hmm. actual things that Trump was doing. We were just there to, you know, we got to celebrate him because he's got money. Trump Tower. Right, this. Right. Then, right, right. you know, they actually had a reality show, <laughs> The Apprentice. <laughs> and so that went national. First it was a local, then it was a national. And right. now it's become a global thing. So we're all watching this show. And I'm not sure if you're aware of a comedian by the name of Doug Stanhope. No, he's really familiar. he's intense. He's a, he's a lovely guy. He's always sort of drinking and smoking on stage, and he's he's really got some insightful thoughts. And I was listening to him the other day, and he goes, you know, he was in Australia on a show, and people were asking him what about Trump, and he goes, well, you know, he says I don't really follow it, 
but I'll be there for the finale. And I actually feel like <laughs> folks will be there for the finale. <laughs> yes, we yes we will all be there for the finale. Right, of course we all have to be. And so, yeah. But I follow Trump news. I read Michael Wolf's book, which is really. Oh, you did. You did. It, okay. A friend of mine sent it to me for free. I didn't buy it. So, okay. but it was you know this guy writes for Vanity Fair, Michael Wolf. Sure, and so sure, sure. That's what you get. You got a little bit. You 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 got the salacious details, whether they were true or not. Behind the decisions, whether it was mm-hmm. the immigration ban, whether it was the travel ban, excuse me, and other things mm-hmm. that were going on in the White House. I mean, mm-hmm. you you know, you had Steve Bannon, you had Vanka and Jared, and you had um, Priebus. And so mm-hmm. when you when I read it, I was going, you know, Trump is really a simple character. Despite mm-hmm. what Comey says about him, Comey said recently he didn't think that he had any, you know, he was getting older and mentally um, compromised. No, he goes, this is an average, more than average smart man. He's just morally deficient. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. I think the book, the, I think that's generous <laughs> based on <laughs> what you see and how you watch Trump comport himself in front of people. He's, he mm-hmm. is id all the way. He's just id. Yeah. And in a way that excites me. That's fun. Um, because I don't really have to think very much about what does he actually mean? I mean, cause this guy just tells you <laughs> what he means. And I think that right now we're, we have to stop thinking of ourselves as being sort of trapped in this situation of Trump or really try to capitalize on it. As I mentioned to you prior to the podcast, how much better can we be? Cause we have yeah. this guy who has thrown, he's really ripped off um, the curtain. We're looking behind the scenes and we're looking behind the, um, the production here. And we're looking at, what a lot of politicians are about. I mean, they're just not very good at it, and that's why we have this relatively empty White House right now. We're watching, we're watching something unprecedented, which I think is amazing, but our charge is to learn how to do this better. So it won't be another Democratic. It won't be another Republican. It won't be another Independent. It will be us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I, so I think two things in relation to what you just said. One, um, I think you've hit on something that I... I, I liked the question, are you, what excites you about <laughs> Trump? Um, I think it's a fair question. I think it's a provocative question. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it, it forces wh- whoever you are, I think it forces you to kind of, uh, you know, sort of sit back on yourself and look at your responses to to the presidency. The, the, the second part I take slight exception to because I don't <laughs> think I I don't think that Trump reveals the naked transactional aspect of all politicians that are that's ever present. I of do course. believe of that, that I do believe that absolutely there are pre, there are plenty of id driven politicians um mm-hmm. Which uh, has probably always been true, particularly uh, kind of took center stage uh, with the Tea Party movement after the election of uh, President Obama. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that um, the complete apparent the apparent absence mm-hmm. of scruples in the presidency mm-hmm. is is atypical. It may not be. It may not be unique. It may not right. be unique, but or broadcast. I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I I don't believe that was true of. Uh, I certainly don't believe that was true of Obama. I don't believe that was true of Bush. I don't believe that was true of Clinton. Um, I don't think that was true of Reagan either. I, I think. Uh, I think these are people that who 
wherever we may fall in relation to their politics, and, you know, at least half the people on that list, I fall pretty uh, far on the opposite spectrum from what they believe. Mm -hmm. I do believe, particularly Reagan. Reagan very—I mean, he got a lot of flacking, actor, you know, kind of shallow thinker, etc. That he deeply—and in his journals, I mean, if if you believe he's being honest with his journals, which, you know, I I don't see a reason to to find that suspect— he deeply believed in uh, in the American idea, and he deeply believed in— What is this American in, idea? I mean, go so, ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. So, so the American idea in that you can forge your own way. Now— that may not be true or not, right? Whether yeah. whether that whether that and we've talked about this on the podcast before that the, mm-hmm. the, for a lot of Americans that is a fiction, of course, and not a and not a mythology, right? Because we we drew that distinction before. That's it's really just a straight up fiction. Mm-hmm. You can't actually just sort of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But that mythology is deeply ingrained in the idea of what it like. It inspires uh, it inspires immigrants. It's all over. I, I just I finally watched the first season of Master of None, and it's mm-hmm. all over the first season of Master of None. I mean, you know, I mean this this idea that like no, you can go to this place and you do not have to be beholden to the history that Absolutely. ordained your family as like zipper makers or something like mm-hmm, that. I think mm-hmm. that was that was to reference something from the show. Okay. Um, and and that 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 mythology has real value for millions of people, not just in the United mm-hmm. States but around the world. Mm-hmm. I do not believe so. Those those are those are baseline principles. You may disagree with how they want to actualize those principles, but I don't well, I believe. I dare I, say, yes. <laughs> I, I but but it's a different issue entirely when you are dealing with someone that finds every utterance and every principle to serve his own. Um, just egotistical ends. Mm-hmm. There's no st- there's no emergency break. See, okay, because I feel like the the past presidents that you named all had the benefit of the certain kind of um, they all had certain kinds of restraint, restraint or just an um you know ten times a better image. But back then, it's all context. I mean, the Bush years, the first Bush years, the second Bush years. Clinton, Clinton threw, he threw uh, the Surgeon General under the bus. <laughs> he threw Lonnie Guineer under the bus. You know about the harsher sentences for um, for folks with um, drug, you know, drug offenses. There were a number of things that absolutely their their actualization of the American. Fiction, are we calling it? Ideal? What are we calling it? Fiction? I, I would call it mythology <laughs> rather than a fiction. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, just caught it. Just caught it a second ago. I think that the way that Trump goes about it is, is that we inherited, um, I don't think that we deserve, but definitely, th- obviously, we inherited a man whose ideas and um, utterances, his principles and all of that are are just so base, so um, human in a mm-hmm. sense, nakedly human, that it's hard not to, like, when I think about people who, convert not conversely, but sort of like go against their own religion, evangelicals who claim mm-hmm. that he's great and everything, and I'm thinking, but sure, you know, you're sure. going against the very thing 
that you claim you believe. I mean, when Pat, Pat Robinson says God took him up to heaven and he saw that Trump was sitting on the right side. And I'm like, wasn't that, that's supposed to be <laughs> Jesus, right? <laughs> you know, that's, that says something profoundly about the allure mm-hmm. and the seduction of a Trump and for people who want to see something in him in themselves, even if they're poor. Even if they are going to lose health care, even if they're even if the policies he puts in place, you know, whether it you know, I've listened to people, Trump supporters, different kinds of Trump supporters, not just white Americans or middle class or poor white Americans, but you know, immigrants, black conservatives. And they see something there that I I I mean, I'm fascinated. I just feel like I must be on LSD. I just have no idea what you're talking about. And it it I, I'm honest and I'm being a little crazy with it, but but I do see something that that's there, and it's this idea of this this idea of power, being empowered, economically empowered, being empowered to, you know, not be politically correct. I'm just call a nigga a nigga, call a faggot a faggot, call a bitch a bitch, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I'm like, so it just feels like um, on the on the level of like vibration, it's a really really low vibration that we're that we're um, hosting and understanding right now. That's in our face in a way that Hillary wouldn't have come off that way. And I do agree that she's a part of the establishment. I do believe that she is, her politics are very problematic. I feel like someone told me years ago that when it came to the Clintons, that one of the reasons why that they disconnected with the Gores was that Bill um, Bill and Hillary were like, okay, Bill Hillary's like you first and then me. (laughs) So their politics overran a lot of what they actually possibly believed, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, but that's just, that's... that's dealing with the devil, right? And I mean, this, and, and this is, and I'm okay with that. Like, you know, when, you know, when people, I mean, this is the the danger that I feel of, of uh, religious, uh, what I would call religious zealots, mm-hmm. people that are true believers, Puritans. Like, mm-hmm. I'm okay with dealing with the devil. That's all right with me. I don't, I don't mind dealing with it. I don't want to deal with, I don't want to deal with a Puritan. I mean, a Puritan in the, in the larger sense of the word. Puritans actually themselves were quite, uh, far more complicated than okay. they're typically represented in popular culture. Okay. Uh, but I mean, I mean Puritan in the more colloquial sense of it. Someone that is uncompromising mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. in their values so that they can maintain a kind of purity, right? Okay. So I'm, I'm, using, I'm using it in a kind of a shorthand way. I understand. Um, mm-hmm. Which is not really historically justified, but... Um, um, like, these are the people that you cannot transact with, right? So the, the fact that the Clintons like had some venality in them or that they were willing to do backroom deals to get certain things done, like that's just human interaction. That's just, that's like straight up, that's the political arena. Yeah, that's right. That's like day-to-day you scratch your back, I scratch. You know, you mm-hmm. I, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, kind of thing. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be principled guards up around that. In fact, that's in, in that's entirely what I'm advocating. Mm-hmm. But but that because because there is a transactional nature to politics, because politicians can horse trade, and because mm-hmm. they can be bought, that makes them that makes them human. Okay, mm-hmm. no problem. I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But when that's all that it is, <laughs> right? When that is the only principle or that when that is the only criteria without mm-hmm. principle, yes. that's when we start to have a serious problem as a country mm-hmm. because then you believe that that's what it always always is. 
And, mm. and, and, mm. and I just, mm. I don't believe that it, it is always, always that way. I do think that like oftentimes, you know, we, we run up against, you know, our, we run up against our desires and our principles, right? That's mm. called, mm-hmm. that's character, right? Okay. And sometimes we, and sometimes our tests of character fail. And sometimes, you know, we surprise ourselves. Sometimes other people surprise us. Mm. Um, but, but. The the things that you've that you've pointed out, which I think are absolutely valid observations, are precisely problematic about the presidency currently, mm-hmm. because it does give license to people to sort of fly their uglier parts. We all have those ugly. We all have ugly parts. We've been having those ugly parts since the civil rights movement, since before, you know, before that actually. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Right. Exceptionally. So I understand, I understand the issue you have with what I'm saying. I honestly feel like a more rigorous look at the American justice system, the American political system, is in order, and I think that then in this way it does allow you to do that. I think so that like that, a, like a disinfectant, so so kind of a that that it some that it, that it exposes things that, that are pretty ugly. You know, that we yeah. hear about that might be backdoor kind of stuff, but Trump is he's unabashedly himself, and I feel. And I'm kind of like, with you on that. I'm with you on that. Please go ahead. But I, I'm kind of with you on that. I mean, I am. I, I do find that. Um, I think the mythology persuasive. of the moral president or the moral politician is is problematic as well. I feel like, like you said, you know, you do deals with the devil. You try to get things done. I understand that part. I feel as if. So, when do you think? My question earlier. Not to you, but to a friend of mine was like, so have we really progressed as a nation or are we just really coming to um, some really clear understandings about how diverse but also how discordant we are as a Uh, nation? Progressed since since when? Progressed since when? See, that's the thing. (laughs) I can't seem to place a moment. I keep thinking that it's possibly the civil rights movement and then there's these sort of like glazed over moments where we have reagan but you know carter was a blip carter who asked us to take more accountability for what we do and they're like let's get this motherfucker out of office yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> i was like i love that speech that he gave i was like uh, and then carter who basically lived out his president non-presidential life doing the things he said he wanted to do some of those things anyway but yeah. i was trying to wonder like i don't feel like we've progressed since the 60s I feel like there was incredible blowback. I feel like we have some progressive movements going. We have some progressive ideas. But there are things that the Trump presidency sort of illuminates on a very sort of ugly lights at a concert, <laughs> you know. And it's a, it's a legitimate question because I my my initial response to what you would say would be to push back and and to challenge that we have moved since, uh, mm-hmm. that we have moved since the 60s, mostly because I am tired of hearing that argument at academic conferences. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, okay. So, that, yes. so, so that 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 Fair is enough. that's that's my emotional response to that. Okay. Like I I just I, I get a little tired of kind of the utopic. Um, you know, it's like nothing is ever good enough. There's, you know, you know, we're still, you know, completely steeped in, uh, in, in racist white ideology. So mm-hmm. I, that yeah. note, that note is discordant to me, but if I can just, if I can interrupt that thought for a second, I guess mm-hmm. I have a more constructive question that I would actually ask, Sure. Okay. which is, do you, 
And I feel that the answer can legitimately go either way. And I don't mm-hmm. know how I would answer it. Okay. Do you think that symbols as measures of cultural progress matter? So mm, do, it's a different question, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So does it mm-hmm. matter that one of, you know, does it matter that we have symbols in America like uh, King, Obama, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Dave Chappelle? D- does it, are those symbols a legitimate indicator of an expansiveness within culture that was not there prior to the 60s, or mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. they smoke and mirrors? And they're just a way to a kind of appease <laughs> uh, a sense of obvious iniquity. I think I think they're a little bit of all of it, quite honestly. I think they're anom- okay. anonymous in a way, and I think that they are signal signifiers of a certain kind of progress, but they're okay. also within a different... Each of those people exist within brackets. Mm-hmm. So, And they also follow a capitalist sensibility, every single mm-hmm. one of them. And with King, when we think about the Poor People's Campaign and what he was trying to do... Um, would have really been a progressive movement because it included all people regardless of race. You could just there was it was dealing with economics. Right. So I think it's a little bit of all of it because I'm definitely um I'm definitely moved as a person, as a um a black male, to see certain kinds of what we call progress. But they're mm. they're never without um criticism and they're never without um mm. They might be without criticism to some people because some people just see success as money or success as a certain kind of um sure and i'm I'm thinking more or less about well what is it they're actually saying? what mm-hmm. is it they're actually doing? A good example of Oprah would be I want to say it was around two thousand four I think it was around two thousand four this is when James free a million little pieces or a million pieces uh, uh, yeah yeah right. yeah 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 so right remember she defended him she went uh-huh, to the mat, she uh-huh, went to uh-huh. the mat for him and then she had him on his show when she had decided you know this man lied that she had enough that's right yeah right and so she had him on the show and everybody in Oprah's um audience is well lit well dressed colorful and everything and she always looks you know really cute and all that this man mm-hmm. looked like he was sitting under a <laughs> a single bulb in a basement <laughs> swinging he was sweating. <laughs> His agent there, Nan, I think was her name. And I just remember thinking about Oprah and and people were, people were, the media was looking at this as a, um, they were looking at Oprah being sort of embarrassed by the whole thing. And I was like, let's take a little further. What he did was he was fucking with her brand. Mm -hmm. This, that she put that O on his cover (laughs) and that threatened her brand. I was listening to her. She, you know, she was just so shocked and so upset about this. And I was like, this felt less moral than it did economic. Mm-hmm. And throughout the program, if you ever get a chance to see well, it, it's I, an interesting I moment. I, I don't think you can separate the two, especially, uh, especially. No, no, no. For someone like Oprah, I don't think like the moral. I mean, this is the this. She's she's kind of the latest iteration of the prosperity gospel. You know, Norman Vincent Peale. Oh, absolutely, like, absolutely. The idea, so, so she, the the moral and the economic are are not easily disentangled for Oprah and for many Americans, I might say. For many people, right. But I think that they can definitely be criticized and definitely can be held accountable for certain kinds of behavior. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Absolutely. no, no, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying that we shouldn't question her. I'm saying that for her to suggest that 
that somehow there was a dissimulation or it was uh, that really the motivation was this and it was disguised as that. For her, I don't think... I, I don't think you can pull those things apart very easily. I don't think I could pull them apart easily. But what I can do is I can stay on this side of it. And, that, and you know, I can say definitely this is what you might have meant and what you kind of believe. But here's how I received it. That, yeah. I think. And so that's where I stand with that and, and that kind of thing. I was um, I, I think that when it comes to progress in this country, well, I really love this idea of symbols, though, because I think it's um, a poignant one that because again, people are inspired Barack Obama. I mean, there'll be kids called Barack, you know, they're going to be kids called Absolutely. Barack. Absolutely. That's right. You Absolutely. Know, you know, these kinds of things. And so it's his, sim- his symbolism meant more to people than his policies, you know, some of which were obscured by the fact that, you know, they, people saw him as a victim of a largely white um, Congress and justice system and so forth. And so, but it was like, this man was a warmonger. This man, every time he got in front of some black people, was telling us to pull up our pants, no matter if it was, you know, he was at Morehouse, the cream of the crop when it came comes to young black so, but men. That, but that's, so I don't necessarily, I don't think, personally, I don't think it's really fair to pull the race criticism on him for that one, because that is the American, that's the American, that's the American mythology. No, no, no. What, but no, what, no, no, no. what he's, no, no. what he's mm. preaching is, is the American mythology for how one turns yourself into like a citizen. It had nothing to do with whether it was, whether they were black or not. It's that oh, this really? is the, this is the, <laughs> this is the, no, but this is the, this is the inherent ideology. I know what you're saying about the larger part of it. What I'm saying is very specifically a black man is standing in front of a bunch of black students who are graduating from a right. tr- historically black college. And he's telling them to pull their pants up when they've already, they already know that. What else do you have to say other than this American, you know, American kind of sense of, They've already on that road. Do you have okay. something else to say about to them? Okay, all right. So, okay, that's a and fair criticism. You, and then also, and another criticism would be how he even, um, Obama is not an African-American. He's an African and an American. <laughs> and so when he comes in front of, when he's been in front of other people, what, one, and there is um, someone working I, on a collection of some of his things. Let me go back to this. But um, he is an African-American Claire. in the sense that he is a product of both a white American uh-huh. and an African father. And there's a uh-huh. difference. He doesn't have the same cultured, cultural experiences that people who were born here and who have lived here for centuries. He doesn't have that same. You're starting to draw like you're starting to draw boundaries around what qualifies as li- authentic black experience. No, that's what you're hearing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying okay, he can have his right. black experience. <laughs> I'm saying that's the implication. I'm saying that's the implication of what you're saying. Go right ahead. I'm saying that it does have something to do with how you relate to blackness or black people in this country when he's when he starts to obama has never like wrung his neck or said anything kind of sassy in the sort of stereotypical black way until he gets in front of groups of black people would he do that in front of the congress he does not that's politics no what that is is code switching and it's a certain kind of code switching that's not always welcome or not even necessary wait wait you don't think jay-z code switches when he steps into a boardroom i'm staying with obama right now and I'll say this with a, with a, I said that everybody code switch. I'm saying it's not an appreciative thing. And sometimes it, it doesn't come with anything. It's just an attitude. Sometimes it's the same old bullshit 
And it's this, it's the thing. It's it's just a way of fake sort of relating to people. Absolutely. Okay. So, so okay. So let let me narrow this down for a second. So, mm-hmm. I do it just to clarify. So it does sound to me like you are implying criticism when you label the code switch. So now I just if, much more complicated than just being something where you're talking to whites. And so now I'm talking to Travis. So I will always use this voice, and I will um put periods at the end of my sentences like this no but but so. that but that but that is being a pro-social primate you tend to emulate groups that you are in your that you're interacting with like it's that that will i mean i will know for example i will notice if i have if i have conversations with friends that have certain colloquialisms mm-hmm. i will I will unconsciously begin to adapt those, not because I'm trying to pretend to be something I'm not, but mm-hmm. because I just, as as a matter of, like, unconscious empathy, will try to relate to that group that way. Now, mm-hmm. th- I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think that that is a measure of inauthenticity always. It might be sometimes, but I would suggest that the way that you just laid it out in an offhanded way implies that now, now maybe you didn't mean this and, and you're saying that I heard it in a, in a particular way, but to me, you are implying that there is a kind of black American experience th- to which Obama uh, makes rhetorical appeal, but has not actually lived himself. And I would say, and I would say that, that I would say that that's a kind of policing of identity that is problematic. See, when you say policing, okay. So I've been thinking, I think that labeling something or put it at the very least, if not labeling, definitely put in a question mark there is a productive way of thinking about things. Accepting that Obama is an African-American with African and American, and that he's had a certain kind of shared experience with um, other kinds of African-Americans that cannot, you know, um, when it comes to financially, you know, economically or culturally, I think that there's something useful in that conversation. I'm not policing in so much as I'm identifying it. He can be all kinds of black, whatever he decides to be, and I'm sure he will be. What I'm saying is that I think I do label it, if not an authentic, authenticity, question it. I do put the question mark there and go, but what is that? What is it really? Is would it you a, put the question? And, and, can I? Would you put the question mark in every black American experience? I put it in every American experience. No, no, but about the. I mean, the whole sort of like the whole cake that we just kind oh, of yeah. we just so sort of supposed, laid out. Yeah. You know, in terms of sim- symbolism. I question leaders. I question people who are allegedly um, doing things for the good of the people. Mm. That's what I'm thinking about. So if the person's white, black, green, blue, whatever, that's what I think. But when you laid out the example of the symbols when it came to Jay-Z or Oprah or Obama or Martin Luther mm. King, that mm. those were the people, like I said, I think it's they succeed within a particular kind of framework. Sometimes it's seen as progressive or seen as progress. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's totally it. So that's kind of where I was going with the Obama thing in terms of, but I wasn't policing his blackness. I mean, how could I? <laughs> uh, so, no, no, no. If, if, <laughs> I, I, I would say, and, and you said you didn't do that. It, to me, it did have a hint of that, but maybe I just mis, maybe I just misread that. So, but, but I do think, you know, for me, it really is, if, if I'm not being defensive about it, mm-hmm. it really is an open question whether it is legitimate to hold up examples, as I will often do in conversation. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm questioning Necessary. myself yeah. here. 
I, I do think that it is problematic uh, to hold up people like Oprah and Jay-Z and fill in the blank mm-hmm. um, uh, as examples of cultural progress when poverty, uh, education, and crime um, and their effects on uh, segregated communities in the United States are so apparent and so deeply entrenched in the American system. And so I don't know that it's fair to hold those examples up uh, as instances of real social progress. Mm, I agree. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would suspect that you do. I mean, you, you're pretty you're pretty you have you're pretty consistent on that, which I actually appreciate. Um, and uh, I guess I don't know. I guess the thing that causes me to um, to hesitate to embrace that idea entirely mm-hmm. is is I don't know how else progress happens except by actualities following uh, symbols. I, that, I, that's fair enough. I think that the, I don't have a lot to say about what progress looks like either. I think I do. I, you know, they have some ideologies. I can, I can relate to that. I understand that. Um, I'm not advocating for the abolishment of symbols or people who are doing things. I'm just, you know, you just have to f- put them in different kinds of contexts to see how they really sort of like measure up, you mm-hmm. know, um, in terms of our, ever evolving sense of what progress means in the U S you know, and there's no one definition, but I know that one of the more popular definition is definitely prosperity, you know, and prosperity meaning capitalism and being capitalist. That's, Mm. that's um, the main one. And and like you said, it's not germane to the U S it's all over, you know, it's kind of like waking up in the morning, you know, what do you want to do? You want to be better or you want to strive, you know, possibly because these are the, um, these are the stories you've inherited. So right. like you, I do question um, and think about and wonder, because I don't have an answer for it, what would progress look like? On, on, the one, on one level, I'd say, well, it would look like an even playing field. Yeah. But I'm not a student of capitalism, and so I don't, my, my general sense is that somebody's got to lose in capitalism, <laughs> or at least unregulated capitalism. capitalism. Yeah, well, some, I, I mean, I would say someone's got to lose in life, just in general. I mean, it's... it's do they, do they try? It's maybe a, they don't. It's a, <laughs> well, maybe it's, they don't. There are actual material limitations on, uh, on our individual prosperity. I mean, there's... If, if we compete for things... Yeah, I mean, I think sports is a pretty solid metaphor for that. You can't have... You can't have two winners. And um, I, I don't mm. just to be just to be clear, I do not think that at all means uh, I mean, I, as far as equality of opportunity goes, mm-hmm. I think it's very clear that we do not have an equality of opportunity in this country mm-hmm. um, and that that is a, a serious uh, cancer on the society right now. I oh, think yeah. Is, it's a lot of wasted fucking clear. potential. It's Absolutely. so much wasted yeah. potential. It was so much wasted potential. And I think that a political thing like affirmative action, which was put in place to even the playing field out, not just for black people, but for women, people who are mm-hmm. differently abled. It was a whole bunch of things. Right. By the 90s, it had become... You know, you're just going out on the street and getting some black guy to work in you know, know. corporate America. But know, that it's... worked for people because of the because of the culture we were in at that time and still are, which is we say it's meritocracy, but we know that it's not. <laughs> we know that it's not. 
We know yeah. that the smart, smartest person isn't in the room or is in the president's seat. <laughs> we know that that's not the smartest person, the most thoughtful, engaged person. We know that. So, um, but I hear you. I hear you on that. I hear you. Um, all right, so we will leave it there, Stephen. Uh, thanks Travis. very much for the thanks very much for the, <laughs> the conversation, and uh, I'll look forward to talking to you next time. Great. See you then. Take care. Bye bye.